the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents... New Focus on Wealth with Certified Financial Planner, Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, I love your email. Shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. For those of you listening on the podcast, which you can find at chadburton.com, it's March 2nd. It's before the market opens here. Most of us listened to the State of the Union speech last night. Um, and though, you know, it was much better than I thought it was going to be in terms of, especially the beginning, um, the hard line against Russia, loved all that, started to fizzle out a little bit in the middle to the end um, with some accuracy issues and uh, you know, it, the whole statement that he said, Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he will never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Um, that's where you start to get it. That's what I was fearful of. It's just, you know, Biden's not known as a great speaker. Uh, so it kind of fizzled out towards the the middle area. And then, but in terms of the beginning, it was much better than I thought. And this is such an interesting time. It, it, it truly is. We have a very strong underlying economy. You know, now why is that? We've talked about that before. There's a bunch of money pumped into the system. Most of it really in terms of the PPP loans that were put out there for every business to apply for based on payroll and other issues and keeping people to work. And then most businesses in 2020 rebound very quickly after March and April and had one of their best years ever, unless you're travel, you know, leisure restaurants type of a situation. And so a lot of that PPP money was just free money that flew out into the economy as well as some of the stimulus checks and things like that, that velocity of money causes inflation at the same time we're having supply chain issues, which cause higher prices at the same time. That's where we're seeing these signs of inflation that won't stay at this level um, you know, other than energy now because of Russia. But it's interesting talking to several business owner clients um, when they're calling and they're worried about the economy, they're worried about portfolio issues. It's less to do with Russia and more to do with the supply chain issues, whether I've got clients that have several nothing but cake franchises and issues and difficulty sourcing eggs and sour cream to make those yummy, yummy, nothing but cakes. Oh, that's so good. Um, or a client that owns a chain of uh, oil chains facilities dealing with auto parts issues. It's it, the supply chain issue is, is really starting to come to a head in terms of how it's going to affect 
sales uh, coming forward and on top of this Russia issue. So long story short, brace yourself. It's going to be a very, very volatile yield. Uh, a year, rather, not yield. I'm thinking yield as I'm thinking ahead of my next conversation in terms of Federal Reserve, you know, how many rate hikes are now going to be expected with uh, oil prices like this will help slow the economy. Um, very rarely do you have a spike this large in oil without, you know, seeing a recession sometime down the road. And that's fine. I mean, that's not when you just sell stocks because, oh, somebody said there might be a recession. Um, that's when you try to go buy stuff. That's like you're, you're buying opportunity for the next decade. We're supposed to have a recession every seven to 10 years. It's kind of normal. Now, y'all know that listen to the show. I was not a fan of Trump, um, did not vote for either Trump or Biden. I have done a write in the last several times because I like my leadership to be very inspiring. I don't like it to be divisive. Um, but I also, have certain things in terms of where the country is going fiscally that I need to see happen and didn't see out of anybody. And it's, it's interesting to see headlines. You know, Trump was talking about, you know, basically saying Putin is a genius and it, it wasn't like he was praising or applauding Putin. It was really that the guy started planning this in 2020 guys. And even if we go as far back as um, when Romney was running against Obama, um, Romney was talking about it, how dangerous Russia is going to become. And Russia looked at the COVID crisis in 2020. And if you remember this, you go back and and look at March and April 2020, uh, Russia breaks their deal with OPEC and decides to pump as much oil as they want. What did that do? Oil went negative for a period of time. They flooded the market, started pumping and selling as much as they wanted. And that, what did that do? That put a lot of the frackers out of business as this country was on its way to energy independence. And then, of course, that's going to be harder to get back going with, with Biden in place. And Europe is full on screwed up by being so dependent on Russia for natural gas and so he used that issue. This this evil genius is you know started planning this in the last election. He started planning this with leaving OPEC. This has been you know, people knew what he was going to do, and then the way he's done it has definitely been like, okay, you are definitely in terms of the evil and genius, you're definitely way more evil than it becomes genius. But um, and that's the scary part, right? How mentally ill is this guy? So, um, you know, we, we're, we're going to be in for a bit of a wild ride here, obviously. Now, there's been a couple of other times where we've had a big spike in oil prices prior to a, um, a big sell-off in the market. But this is not like 1999. In 98-99, I think we had a big oil price spike, but valuations were stupid. I mean... It, were you know, people were buying a dot-com company that was going public that had zero revenue. And the valuations on the NASDAQ were insane. It, there was no reality in the market back then. And at the same time, everybody was a day trader. The only thing that's anywhere near like that right now is the, was the crypto and the meme stock phase uh, craze. Um, the meme stock bubble has already burst big time. Now, crypto is interesting because this is the type of a situation that would 
say, okay, if it's going to be a play long-term and, and Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to be solid foundation issues, if you've got money in Russia and you're trying to get it out or Ukraine and you're leaving or, or any of these other countries, that's where the money would go. That's where the money could go. So it was interesting to see crypto fall. And then yesterday or the day before yesterday, you started to have that rebound again um, with the SWIFT bank uh, or the SWIFT, you know, which is a bank communication issue, not not a money transfer issue. Um, that kind of came out and pushed it all up. But today, I think uh, Bitcoin is down a little bit, but it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out um, with uh, currency issues. Um, this is also not like 2007. We had a big jump in oil prices in the 06, 07 range. Um, valuations were getting expensive in 2007 on the, the S&P 500, but there was a massive debt in real estate bubble. So it's not, I don't see like a credit crisis forming as a result of this. I, I could definitely see a recession coming because of a big spike in oil prices. Feds want to raise interest rates to, to, to slow down inflation. And we have supply chain issues, which will affect sales. Um, so, you know, don't, don't be concerned. Again, I don't want people to say, oh, I got to go sell socks. Chad says there might be a recession. I don't know. You know, it's the, I expect a recession every five to seven years or every seven to 10 years and a correction of 20% every five to seven years. I've been doing this for 28 years and it's, it's supposed to happen. That's what, that's what happens when investing. All right. So again, today, you know, listening on podcasts, it's March 2nd, it's before the market opens, futures relatively flat today. Um, so talking about, you know, it's when you have typically a large spike in oil like this, um, that tends to spark a recession shortly after. Um, however, we do have a very strong underlying economy. We're not way overvalued on the stock market. Um, we do have supply chain issues, which also slow things down a little bit. Goods are getting more expensive. Um, but as we get through this last couple of quarters and you're a year out, that inflation comparisons will be tougher and inflation upwards will likely slow down a bit. But what, what is a correction? A correction is a 10% decline from the most recent highs. Now, one thing I want to point out is that typically if you have a correction and it ends at that you know, around 10% or so level, if you look back at most of the 10% corrections, one year later, your return is 17% from that, that bottom of that 10% correction. Now, a bear market is a 20% decline from the most recent high. And, you know, bear markets tend to be short-lived. The average length of a bear market, if we go back to the 20s, is like 289 days or about 9.6 months. The average length of a bull market, where you measure that from, okay, the, the market has stopped declining, you're at the bottom of that 20% plus correction, and then you go forward, and it, it's measured again until the next 20% correction. The average length of a bull market is 2.7 years. So, you know, again, investing positive 70% of the time, negative 30% of the time. Um, bear markets can last. Uh, since 1950, it's been a little bit shorter. I think it's been 18 months, but they can, if you go back to the 20s, it's 289 days or 9.6 months. 
So where are we at now? From the most recent high in the S&P 500 was January 3rd. We're down about 9% from there. If we look at the equal weight index, because remember the S&P 500 is market cap weighted. So you've got a bunch of money in the Microsoft, the Cisco, and the Apples of the world, things like that. It's, it's, it's more of a large cap growth index now because of how it's made up. It's made up of the 500 largest companies in America, but the S&P 500 is market cap weighted. If you look at something like uh, an equal weighted S&P 500 index, where you actually have the same amount of money in all 500 companies, that's only down 5.3% because there's more value there. There's, there's more what would be considered value companies, which at the beginning of the year, value companies would have qualified as energy or the beginning of last year, energy and um, financials and things like that. So you get the S&P 500 down about 9%. If we break it down by looking at growth versus value indexes, or let's look at even ETFs. So if you look at the Vanguard growth ETF, VUG, which is large cap growth, that's down 14% from its most recent high in January. VTV, Vanguard value large cap ETF, is only down 2.62%. So that's what I've been talking the last couple of years. If you guys are you know, way overweighted in large cap growth, um, you know, you need to get some diversification in there. And the S&P 500 had become a large cap growth. And now, now you're seeing that. Now we're getting almost to the point where it's <laughs> the stuff that was growth and has already fallen will eventually be value. And that's where the revenue gains are, right? That's where, you know, technology will continue to expand and things like that. Now let's look at some other areas. So the Russell 2000, which is one of the many small and mid cap indexes out there. It's one of the most quoted Russell 2000. Uh, now, the thing I don't like about investing in the Russell 2000 directly is it's like 33% of the companies aren't profitable because you got a lot of you know, biotech companies and things like that that are they're, they're either going to go huge or they're going to strike out and fail. But if you look at the Russell 2000, it's down 16% since the November 8th, 2021 high. That's a pretty good decline already, but not quite a bear market. Small cap value though? Because remember, the Russell is small and mid cap. If we, if we look at the small cap value portion of that index, that's down only 6%. Small cap growth is down nearly 20%. Nearly 20%. So you basically have a bear market already in small cap growth because that's where all the money went into those speculative small companies last year. It pushed them almost too high. And then, then now they've fallen. They've come back to reality. That tends to happen in the market. Now check this out, emerging markets, that topped out back in February 17th of 2021. Emerging markets down about 18% so far. So another area that's already in a bear market that has some very attractive long-term buys, although with this Russia issue, it's not a screaming, let's go put all our money in there buy, right? By the way, if you look at EEM or the MSCI Emerging Market Index, it's only, it was... Uh, 3.15% rush at the end of the year and only about 1.56% rush at the end of February. Um, so you're not getting a huge exposure in most EM funds to Russia. The International Developed Index, which is, you know, you know the Europe, you know, uh, Japan type of foreign weighting, is down about 9% year to date. It's down about 9% um, in that period of time. So. 
we have bear markets in small growth and emerging markets. And, and I think that if this kind of pushes forward, that's where the big bargains will end up. But I do want to remind you, I do want to remind you that, um, you know, some of that stuff fell 30 to 40% by the time it was over in that March to April correction in 2020. And we haven't seen a huge correction yet in the S&P 500. Now, why is that? It's still that stocks look way more attractive than bonds over the next 10 years, if you can handle the volatility. Um, but if you're retired, you still need some bonds. Uh, now is a great time to start averaging any extra cash. If you've been on the sidelines for so long, this is the start of a buying opportunity. Now, it could get worse before it gets better, but you're already finding stuff on discounts. I was looking at a couple REIT indexes, for example, down about 12% already year to date. So pretty big buying opportunity shaping up in several areas. Um, we, if you have 10-year-plus time horizons, you know, small cap, emerging markets, things like that. It, it's so important, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this, that for long-term wealth building, it is so important to buy aggressively on dips when it is the scariest time ever. When you're March of 09 and you feel like you should get out because you think the economy is going to go to hell in a handbasket. Where did that come from anyways? I don't know that term. I hate it when I actually that comes out of my mouth. But anyways, long-term wealth building, it's important to start buying aggressively when you see the dips. But it's also important in retirement to protect some of that, those gains. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Oh, it was awful during the, the, the break. For those of you listening to the podcast, I was listening to the news update. Over 2,000 Ukrainians slaughtered so far. I hope Russian people rise up within Russia and take care of Putin on their own. So it's just, just awful. He goes to hell in a handbasket. What that, uh, I had to look up that phrase because when it comes out of my mouth, I was like, oh, it's such a weird phrase. And so where did it come from? According to Wikipedia, the term to hell in a handbass that came in the 19th century, the phrase has been found associated with the American gold rush of the 1840s where men were lowered by hand in baskets down mining shafts. Oh, creepy. All right. Talking a little bit about corrections and things like that, which definitely can feel very, very creepy. Um, we've got a very, very strong underlying economy, very high, uh, you know, companies are, most companies are doing extremely well. We have, issues on the supply chain of sourcing stuff, but, you know, bringing back uh, chip production and things like that into the U.S., infrastructure plans, things like that can, you know, help keep us afloat. Sometimes it's hard to avoid a recession, especially when oil prices spike. And so let's talk about that because clients that have worked with me for 28 plus years know that, especially in retirement, we're always positive on the market. We know that 70% of the time is going to be really, really good for us. But 30% of the time it's negative and it's what you do in retirement during those negative periods that can affect your entire retirement. When you're wealth building, it doesn't matter too much. You want to make sure you're aggressively buying whenever you see corrections. Small cap stocks fell the hardest in March of 2020. We're talking 30 to 45%. And if you looked at many small cap ETFs, especially small cap value just got crushed. 
And if you go back and listen to the shows back in, in mid, you know, early to mid 2020, I was telling you about it. Stuff had fallen too far. Um, and it, it, sometimes this stuff is easy to see. If you ask my clients in March of 2009, I did a company-wide webinar before webinars were really much of a thing, it seemed back then. And I was just pointing out the fundamentals. Like, here's the revenue hit that many of these companies have had from the Great Recession. But this is where the stock prices are. This is not the time to sell. This is the time to buy. I think March 12th ended up being the bottom of that Great Recession. Um, so we always have to brace ourselves for these corrections. You never want to just like be selling into stuff. It's better to be buying into stuff. Now, even from the lows in March of 2020 on small caps, even to write, you know, well, these are numbers as of February 28th when I ran these. If I look at certain ETFs and things like that, VBR, Vanguard, small cap value ETF is still up 116% since March of 2020. Vanguard small cap growth, VBK, is up 70, almost 74% since uh, March of 2020. And the Russell 2000, which has some small and mid-cap uh, growth and value in it, is up 91% since th- those periods of time. So those big dips, those big corrections where you have stocks fall 20 to 40%, tend to be the best buying opportunities for the next decade. So if you're in the wealth building phase... You're more than 10 years from retirement. You got to find ways to dip in when you start seeing corrections. And yeah, SP is only down nine, but certain areas that we've talked about are already down more than that. And it could get worse during a recession or an escalated issue with Russia. But you're already about halfway there in a lot of areas, a quarter to a halfway there. When you have a recession, you tend to have more of like a 30% decline in the stock market from the peak. And so, again, we're 9% there on the S&P, um, and we're halfway there on small cap and emerging markets and things like that. So I want you to realize it's going to be volatile. I don't want you to be selling and getting scared. Okay, just, just know what to expect. But just as important in retirement is rebalancing and peeling off growth to replenish the cash that you're spending, maintaining that investing. And when you go through a market run-up, like, you know, the last several years, it's harder and harder to get people to do that to replenish their cash. But let me give you an example. Let's, let's kind of look at the math of investing. And you'll get my point if you kind of hang with me during this process here. If let's say you're in retirement, you've got a 60-40 portfolio. So you could look at something like the Vanguard Target Retirement Fund, the 2030 Fund, simple as VTHRX. A lot of people see this in their 401k. I don't own it. It's not a recommendation, but it's 64% stocks. And in 2001, posted an 11.38% return. That's even with the bond market being slightly negative in, in 2001 or 2021. So if you had had 100,000 at the beginning of 2001, you'd have ended the year with $111,380. Now, so far, the re- that same fund has returned negative 5.86%. So now your $111,380 is now down back to 104,853 bucks. If the year-to-date return ends up negative 10%, you're right back to the $100,000 even though it went up 11.38% the year before. So, once your account grows and goes up by a certain amount, it becomes a larger value, so it takes a smaller decline to wipe out the previous year's gains. Just think about that 
again for a minute. Once your account grows by a certain amount, it's a larger value. So it takes a smaller number to wipe out the previous year's gains. Now, that's not a big deal. I'm not telling you to do anything except to be comfortable with how you're allocated if this gets worse. Because when you have a decline in the stock market, it's only paper. They go away. And trust me, I've been doing this for 28 years. So I've lived through Saddam Hussein, the tech bubble, the credit crisis, uh, Russian currency crisis that we've had in the past. It feels awful, but it goes away. And the only time that you'll make mistakes is if you're forced to sell because you have to pay expenses to live. So right now, if you know you need to spend something in the next three years, it shouldn't be in stocks. Because, you know, it sucks to miss out on the upside, but getting hit with the downside when you need to pay for something, that, that hurts. That's more, way more painful than that FOMO of missing out on some upside. So if you're in retirement and you're too aggressively positioned in both stocks and bonds, both are down this year. Guys, bonds are down 4%. So you're in a year where both stocks and bonds are down. This is why from 1999, I've been preaching on air that you need three years worth of portfolio draws in safe money. Because this is a year where stocks and bonds are both down together. And the other way is that if you're forced to sell to pay expenses, you're locking in losses forever. You have fewer shares that are going to be in your account to recover. Now, if you're forced to sell because you're panicking and can't sleep, that's another big problem. You know, in the last 28 years, I've made people the most money by talking them off the cliff in the bottom of corrections and bear markets. By pointing out to them, hey, your plan's still going to be okay. We expect these things to happen. We have cash. We have dividends and interest to live off for the next five to seven years. You don't need to sell. Look at all the dividends that you'll lose out on if you sell. And if you sell, you got to pick the right time to get back in. And that is the most difficult part because it never feels right. The best trading days tend to happen during a bear market. And if you miss out on 10 of the best days in a 10-year period, your returns are destroyed. So keep that in mind. Now, investing is very rewarding over long periods of time, but at times it can be very painful. And very rarely do we escape, like I've said before, a recession from a big spike in oil like this. But, and, and, so, and again, the other thing that I want to point out in investing, we spend 70% of our lives investing money at all-time market highs because the stock market is positive 70% of the time. And so you, you have to get used to that. And look, if you invested at the top of the market in 2007, on October 7th of 2007, if you would have done that, that would have felt awful. Valuations were super expensive. Well, not, they weren't like 1999, but valuations were expensive in the S&P 500. There was a real estate bubble. There was a debt bubble for me. And then the market crashed and had a huge correction down, you know, 40 some percent. And it lasted from October 2007 to March of 2009. And it took a couple more years to recover. But even if you would have invested the top of the stock market in 2007, you were up 300% 19 years later, even with the Great Recession. So investing can be very, very rewarding, but sometimes it's scarier. Now, where are we at right now? Valuations 
are already cheaper. So if you've you know, had a bunch of cash inflow from stock options or inheritance or selling a property or something like that, you know, start averaging in. Because when I look at the equal weighted SP 500, if you look at something like RSP, which is an ETF, this is not a recommendation to buy or anything like that. It's just something I always pull up. I don't own it, but it's something I always pull up to see what the total return is so far for the equal weighted SP 500 index. And I look at the metrics. The forward PE ratio on the S&P 500 equal weighted, which owns equal amount of all 500 of the largest companies in America, is 16.3 going forward. Relative interest rates, pretty attractive. Pretty attractive after this recent decline. Um, can it get worse? Yes. We saw PE ratios down around 12 by a March of 09. That's way too cheap. That's a screaming, screaming, screaming buy, but it feels hard to do that. Um. But coming back after the break, you also have to realize, again, for wealth builders, guys, you're you're 10 years plus from retirement, buying on the dips is extremely important and continuing to buy to build up your wealth. But when you're retired, it's a larger dollar amount. You're depending on it forever. And you need to relate a negative percentage amount to an actual dollar value of your portfolio to see what your, let's call it a sleep coefficient is. may run a little longer than my time on KDOW here. So I'll probably record some extra content for the podcast. You can find the podcast. Just go to chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Links to Facebook, iTunes, podcasts. It's all, all there. If, you're, if you guys are listening on um, uh, Apple device, um, shoot, give me a rating if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about continuing to look at your portfolio in retirement and equating a number to your account. Because again, where people make mistakes in investing is going all in at the top because everybody's, you know, making you feel like you're missing out. Um, and the, or you're, you're way too aggressively positioned going into retirement when you need to start drawing on your portfolio. So when the market drops, you're forced to sell shares after a decline, locking in your losses forever, forever and ever and ever. Um, we're going to, let's see, on, on bear markets, assuming a 50-year investment horizon, you can expect to live through at least 14 bear markets. That's 14 times when your portfolio is going to drop your stock side of your portfolio is going to drop 20 plus percent. So let's, let's equate that. Let's equate that to a value because let's even equate 10%, negative 10% decline to an actual value in your portfolio. You can all, a lot of you that are fully invested in stocks right now can already do that. You can just look at your statements. But let's say in the Bay Area, you retire at 65 with $3 million. Now at $3 million, because of where bonds are, you're only going to want to draw 3.5% a year. Now, you'll be able to increase that by 3% a year with inflation. So in about 15 to 18 years, you're going to be drawing out you know, 110000 a year. I'm sorry, 210000 a year. Um, so for the first several years, you're going to be drawing less than you're growing in most cases. So that's one hundred and five grand a year plus Social Security. And both of those should increase you know, your income with inflation. If you're, you know, you've got a portfolio of that large, a 10% decline is all of a sudden a $300,000 loss. So that's what I'm saying. If you've got a million dollars, 10% decline, that's a $100,000 loss on paper. So I want you guys to, to look at your statement and say, okay, 
you know, how have I done so far? The S&P 500 is down 9%. Bonds are down 4% this year. How have, how have you done? How does that make you feel? But if it gets worse, if the portfolio goes down by 10%, equate that to a dollar value. That's $3 million portfolio because you've been able to luckily save enough to be able to live in an area like California. Um, that you know, becomes $2.7 million. So it's a $300,000 loss on paper. How is that going to make you feel? Are you going to be able to continue to sleep at night? And then double that decline. What's 20% look like in terms of a dollar value in your portfolio? Where is your kind of like, oh my God, this is making me panic. You know what I mean? Because my, my favorite portfolio going into retirement is I calculate for people, how much are they going to draw from their portfolio? every single year. So you have a certain amount of money that you need minus social security, minus pensions, minus in some cases, dependable rental income and a little bit of dividends and interest that you know you're going to be able to count on from your portfolio. How much are you going to have to draw on top of that to live? And you need three years worth of those portfolio draws in safe money. I'm talking about just in the bank, credit union, capital one, 360, you know, FDIC insured places like that. Boring, boring, boring. I know the interest rates are really, really low, less than a half percent, but that gets you through market corrections because if you have that cash and enough dividends and interest, you're going to last through the typical peak of the market to the trough of the recession back up to where the market was. And you'll be okay. And you won't be forced to sell shares at a loss, locking in losses forever in retirement. You cannot do that. You cannot play that game of math. Now, favorite you know, type of Allocation and retirement, if you separate that cash out and the rest of your portfolio is 60 to 65% in equities and the rest in uh, you know, bonds, a little bit of commodities and, and things like that, so more defensive, that's my favorite type. If, if, but that's still sometimes 60, 65% in equities is too aggressive for some people. They just can't handle that volatility. If you want to do more or you know, less stocks than that, we really need to kind of look at some of the bond alternatives out there. Ways to either reduce risk by having a guaranteed income source or you know, some principal protection, which does limit your upside. I will say it does limit your upside, but it might allow you to sleep at night and avoid making drastic mistakes when the market does correct. I love averaging cash in in this environment. The, the, when times are scary, that's when you, you buy. And so if you're a person that has... You know, a lot of cash lying around. The best way to do it is I like to just start, I pick a four to six month period and I sp- a specific dollar amount and I buy every two weeks into the asset allocation that I want. Every two weeks. Um, I don't slow that down if things get scarier, but if the market cracks and we hit that 20% plus decline from the peak, that's when I accelerate and just get finished and get all in. And, and buy and take advantage of that buying opportunity for the next decade. So if you've been on the fence, you've already got opportunities. And you know, again, if this Russia thing gets worse and oil prices spike, you know, especially another $20, $25 a barrel, you're likely going to see a recession. So the declines could be a bit more. Um, but don't look at it as a time to sell or a time to be fearful Look at it as buying opportunities because you're investing for 10 plus years. You're not investing for tomorrow. If you've got money in the stock market that you need tomorrow, you're crazy. It's not what it's for. It's for you know five plus years out. 
So make sure you average the cash in retirement. I'll talk about, so if you're going to, if you want to uh, make sure you listen to the podcast, I'm going to do a little bonus material here. Talk a little bit more about average market corrections and bear markets and some of the things to do. And a little bit of that would be like tax loss harvesting, IRA to Roth conversions and things like that. If you want to find me, if you need some help with your financial plan, your investment management, your retirement planning, we even do estate planning and taxes we do it all. Let's go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You can find links to the podcast as well. Have a great day. Please tell a friend about the show. All right. Let's give you a little bit more bonus content uh, for the podcast listeners here. So uh, I just want to go over again, a couple of the statistics regarding corrections, which that, that means you have from the peak down to the bottom, a 10% decline in the stock market. Um, a bear market is when you have a 20% decline from the most recent highs. If we see a correction that stops around negative 10%, the average return 12 months later is 17%. I think I already mentioned that. Bear markets are normal. There has been 26 bear markets in the S&P 500 since 1928. There's also been 27 bull markets. And stocks have significantly risen over the long term. Since 1950, when you do have a bear market, the average length is 13 months. And stocks tend to lose, on average, 36% in the average bear market from the most recent highs. But by contrast, stocks tend to gain 114% during a bull market run. And if we look all the way back a longer period of time, you typically get a 20% correction every 3.6 years. But we just haven't had one for so long. And people tend to get complacent around volatility. So when it comes again, people feel a little bit more fearful. And also portfolios have risen so much when you have a much larger dollar value, a 10% decline looks so much larger on paper. So again, with all of this going on, I want you to brace yourself for volatility, but make sure you're not invested over your skis, meaning you're not too aggressively invested so that you can't sleep at night if we do go into a full bear market. Now, bear markets have been less frequent since World War II. Um, and that, you know, that could be because federal reserve involvement, more information out there, more investors that, you know, need to put their money to be able to retire someday. You always have to remember that half of the S and P 500 index's strongest trading days, biggest trading days in the last 20 years occurred during the bear market. That's why you can't sell out after the big decline. Because if you miss some of those biggest trading days, even during the bear market period where the market's still kind of pulling back, you will lock in losses forever and you'll miss out on the big trading days and you're never going to get the stock market returns that I'm telling you about. Now, if we have a full bear market, that doesn't always necessarily indicate an economic recession. Sometimes it's a, just a, a fear of something that's going to happen and so investors take a bunch off the table just because they fear something's going to happen. Um, the, the yield curve inversion, that's another thing that people talk about and we're getting you know, closer to that. It's not inverted yet. If you look at the two-year versus the 10-year interest rates, um, it's kind of, there's never a point in time where the, you, when the yield curve inverts that, oh, yep, 12 months later, you're going to have a recession. It's, it's kind of just random. And it does indicate people think that, all right, well, a little bit concerned about the economy. So I'm going to change my overall allocation and buy different types of bonds. And since recessions tend to happen every you know, seven to 10 years, 
it, it's just kind of, in some cases, coincidence. Same with oil prices. Typically, you're, you're going to see a recession after a big jump in oil. Bear markets can be painful, and we're not there yet, but overall markets are positive the majority of the time. So just keep that in mind. What can you do? What should you be doing right now? Well, if you have taxable accounts, you should actually be looking at your taxable accounts to harvest any losses. So for example, if you have invested recently in some sort of a large cap ETF or fund, if you sell it, but buy something else, not the same, but similar, you stay invested and you harvest that loss to offset any other capital gains that you may face now or in the future. Because if you harvest those losses, you can carry those forward indefinitely until you need them. And if you don't have stock losses or stock gains to use to offset those losses, you can use 3000 a year against your ordinary income. And you can use it if you ever sell a piece of real estate or your business. You can continue to use those losses up. The other thing you might want to do is during a decline like this is if you are you know, in retirement prior to age 72, when you have to start taking required minimum distributions especially, you might be doing small IRA to Roth conversions every year to maximize and reduce taxes over the long 35 years plus that you're going to be retired. So what I would be looking at now in the couple of Roth conversions that I'm working on, IRA to Roth conversions, we're going to be moving some shares of some small cap and emerging market stuff in the IRA over to the Roth because those have already declined at a, at a big, pretty big number from their all-time highs. And it's not something that we want to sell. It's something we want to buy more of. So very strategic IRA to Roth conversions of specific asset classes. The other thing to think about too is that you're now realizing with a correction, especially in the, in the area of technology, which is way down from its all-time highs, if you have way too much in one stock, this is the reason why, or in one sector or one asset class, this is the reason why you diversify. Yes, sometimes that means paying taxes. If you have way too much in one stock, like a million plus in Cisco, Microsoft, Apple, any of these companies like that that you see, and you're pretty close to retirement, and you already have quite a bit of assets, you're just wanting to diversify, you want to pay taxes. Let's talk about a charitable remainder trust where you could take your million dollars worth of Apple stock, you can put it into a charitable remainder trust, you can get a tax deduction, you can turn around and sell it with zero current tax consequences, create an income stream for life that for you and your spouse. And whatever's left over goes to your favorite charity. Uh, and in some cases, I, I, in most cases, I like to have the final charity be your current donor advice fund so you can always change what your favorite charity is up until the date of death or assign it to your kids to handle it. When, when the stock market corrects, people look at ways to save money. If the market's down, you don't have to cut your expenses by the amount that the market's down. You make small, minor adjustments. I have been seeing a lot of people looking to downsize their homes lately. And they kind of push them to do this now if they want a mortgage because mortgage rates have gone up. One thing I'll find I'll, I'll, I'll leave you guys with, and I'll talk about more about this on a future show, is I'm seeing a lot of people go to downsize their home. And what happens is, is it doesn't necessarily get them anywhere. First of all, a lot of people want to leave California because they think their California taxes are going to be really high. If you haven't done a long-term projection to see how much you're truly going to pay based on drawing on your portfolio, a lot of my even wealthy clients are really effective rate in California, somewhere around 6% by the time it's all said and done. 
So know what you're going to pay in the future. Don't equate it to what you're paying while you're working and earning money in California. Equate it to how you're drawing on your portfolio. Do a long-term projection. And be careful on the home downsize thing. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing people sell and go into a different area and buy and, and have a home built. And by the time it's done, they pay 25 to 35% more than they thought. They end up having to buy a ton of new furniture to furnish their new downsized house because their old furniture doesn't work in there. There's closing costs. If you can't take advantage of Prop 19, sometimes there's higher property taxes. And then you got to rebuild your whole friend group. And that's not what you want to necessarily do in retirement. So think about that carefully before you take that approach. That's just some final thoughts that I want to leave my podcast listeners with. If you wouldn't mind, shoot me a rating. Go to, uh, if you're listening on your iPhone to the podcast, shoot me a rating. I'd appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.